We did that about a month and a half ago, and we started to do this kind of slow down and do, you know, how, what's it look like in the body of Christ, and what's it look like uh, to show honor and serve and all these different things. And Frank kind of looked at the preaching calendar, and he kind of saw down, you know, oh man, in seven weeks we're going to talk about giving deuces. I'll give that one to Sean. And so now... Um, I get to talk about uh, giving, okay, which is always, a, I mean, we all, we just love talking about that. Um, so um, he, here's, here's what I want to say, and here's why I think it's important that you know that's the direction we're coming from before we even get into what we need to get into. Um, if we try to give uh, because of Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, and not because of chapters 4 through 11, it's a practice in futility, man. If you try to do this, if we talk about giving because you need to earn some type of grace, um, you're just going to be backwards. And so we have to understand that everything we're going to talk about in light of this is, is, is moving forward from chapters 4 through 11 because of what Jesus has done. And, and, and I want to kind of lay down all this, and, and here's the, the best way that, that I can do this. Um, I know there's, there's, there's a stigma that comes along when we begin to talk about giving, and I got to be honest, we're not even going to talk about giving money that much because um, I think this verse pushes us in a completely different direction, and I'll get there in a second, but when I say giving, here's what I want to say um, about this. Uh, I, I got saved into and served in a lo- you know, for a long time, probably 10 years, in a vein um, that maybe some of you don't know what this term is, um, something called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel basically says, um, if you give, I mean, turn on TBN, and you will find the prosperity gospel. If you give $7, you'll be blessed for seven days. If you give $77, you'll be blessed for seven months. And if you give $777, you'll be blessed for seven years. And if you you give, then you'll be good. And man, I walked, and that was the air I breathed for so long. And I remember my pushback to that as I began to remove myself from that culture and seeing all the damage that it was doing. I mean, being in rooms... That, that literally people would send in prayer requests with their check, and all you would do is open up the envelope, throw the prayer request in the, ch- in the trash, and slide over the check. Open up the envelope, throw the prayer request in the check. Like, just demonic stuff, man. Like, just demonic stuff. And this is the stigma that we as the church, even though we, we don't, we, we are completely against that, this is what, what we have to fight against when we begin to talk about giving as a church. And so maybe there's some preconceived notions that you're bringing to the table when I say giving. It's your first time, like, oh, of course we're talking about giving. We don't talk about giving that much, okay? So here, here's where I want to start. I, w- I want to pretend that we know nothing about giving. It's just like, what if we were to chat for a second before we get to our text? Um, how do we even get where we are um, with the giving? And, and here's, here's where, I'll, where I'll start. Um, when I graduated high school, I got saved in high school. When I graduated high school, um, I was in uh, the Assemblies of God. It's this charismatic denomination. I was in this Assemblies of God, and the Assemblies of God set something up in the late 80s, and they looked at the Mormons, and they saw how they did this two-year mission, and they said, hey, um, we see how they're doing this. Why don't we do this with our young people? And so they set up this thing called Master's Commission. And so when you would graduate high school, you would go into this program called Master's Commission. And it's this discipleship program where essentially you would uh, memorize scripture, you would take classes, and you would, um, you would do these things called human videos. Now, if you know what a human video is, you can chuckle. If you don't, let me explain to you, um, because then you can join in in the chuckling. What you would do is um, you would find a song that was, you know, maybe popular or moved you in some way, and you would act out... <laughs> What was I thinking? Act out this song. So we would do um, Linkin Park, Somewhere I Belong. He'd be like, I will never know myself. And then someone's over here is like, you know, they're partying. And um, so you would act out these dramas. Yeah, it's as bad as it sounds. Um, 
And so you would learn these dramas and you would travel around the country or around the state doing these human videos, okay? And uh, when you would do these human videos, you're doing maybe trying to recruit kids to come to Master's Commission or whatever it is. Well, we had set up um, this whole kind of tour for, for, Master's, for our Master's Commission to go around the country, okay? And um, we're driving through. We had a couple stops. We're driving down I-95, and um, I'm driving, and there's about 15 of us in uh, this program with a couple leaders, 15 of us in this shuttle. When I say shuttle, I mean like a hotel shuttle, you know, kind of taller and boxy. Um, there's about 15 of us in the shuttle. All of our luggage is in the back, and I'm driving down I-95 in Iowa. We're heading to a church um, in the heart of Iowa, and uh, I'm driving and maybe going a little over 80, maybe 81, 82, 88. Um, the speed limit's 77 or 75. Um, <laughs> So I'm driving, and the back tire blows out, flat back left tire. And as it blows out, I'm like, okay, well, good. I'm going to get over to the side. And as I'm saying that, I realize I ain't getting to the side. Um, the back of the shuttle starts to swerve, and next thing I know, I'm going backwards, okay? So now suddenly, I'm going backwards, and I'm looking at traffic coming on at us, and we're going about 65 miles an hour on the I-95 backwards. And I'm thinking, this isn't good. This is not good at all. Um, and so we're going backwards. The, the tire that uh, blew out hits the ground on the side of the road, and we do a complete backflip. And just boom, and we just crush the shuttle, okay? Um, by God's grace, no one dies. A lot of people were hurt, but no one died. Um, you know, some broken jaws, broken arms, dislocated shoulders. It is what it is. But every, everyone ends up living. Uh, living. And um, it, it was just, I, it was, I mean, it was one of those moments that you just remember. There was this Nigerian guy, one of my best friends ever. He gets out of the van. I'm like, Uche, help me get out of the van. So he helps me get out. And we're like freaking out because there's still people in the shuttle. And he grabs the side of the shuttle. He's this black Nigerian dude, right? And he's, he's like, and he starts to rip the shuttle. He's like, Sean, help me. And I'm like, I ain't helping you, bro. Okay? He just rips open the shuttle. Um, and then we look inside and everyone's out. So it's just like, you're a grown man, I'm a little boy. Um, <laughs> so here, here's why I tell you that story, okay? We, uh, we end up, or we're in the middle of Iowa. We have like nothing. I, even if we make some calls on our cell phones to get some people down, it's going to take them a day or two to get to us to help us out. So um, we're just like, what do we do? Well, the, the ambulance comes and takes the people who are hurt, takes them to the emergency room, gets them help in the hospital. Well, there's this tiny little Baptist church up the road. We, have, we do not know them. We have no idea. Matter of fact, if you know anything about the church world, the Assemblies of God ain't mixing with the Baptists, okay? Um, and so, um, so this church, man, they just take our problem, they see what, what's wrong, and they just own this thing. Like, they come alongside of us, we weren't able to get our, our luggage, but um, they come alongside of us and they, they provide clothes for us. Those who weren't staying in the hospital, they, they pay for our hotel room. Um, they, they, they provide meals for us. I mean, it was awesome. Now, now here's the reason I tell that story. Um, I think all of us, maybe in some way, have a story like that. Not flipping a shuttle, but the church coming alongside of us. I mean, some way we were helped by the church. And I just want us to stop. Before we talk about and get into the details of giving, think about that. Think about how odd it is that, yeah, they're the, they're the church. They're the Abignation faction. That's who they are. I mean, that's what they do. They, they give. That's, they give their life away. Of course the church came on. That's what the church does. When I need food, I contact church to point me to a food bank. When I need money with help with rent, I contact the church with benevolence. That's the church. That's what they do. And have we ever stopped to think of how bizarre that is? Like, why are we known for giving? So um, if, if I can even start, because it, it's not like that for every, every culture, and it definitely hasn't been like that throughout history. Um, but it starts very early um, with this. And, and what I want to talk about is what that looks like for a second and even why. Let me read something to you. 
Um, there's a, a book called The Rise of Christianity by a guy named Rodney Stark. He has a great quote, and in it he talks about um, how this kind of started within Christians in the first, second, and third century in the Roman Greco world. This is what he says. Um, he says, Christianity served as a revitali- uh, revitalization movement that arose in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman uh, world. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Rome, Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. So very early in our history, in the Christian world, um, there was this, hey, there's a need. We as Christians fill that need. We help them. And it's just kind of for us assumed, but it was odd for them. I mean, think, it's not just them, right? Think about even now the, 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 na- the national and the global relief agencies that we have, like Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, the Red Cross, Salvation Army. Though some would now not pertain to be Christian, wouldn't claim at all to be Christian, at their very DNA, with their cord, some of them, like the Salvation Army, was called the Christian Mission. Why is it like that? Why are we as the church seen like that? So before we get to giving, all I want to do is lay a foundation of why that's the case, why, as Christians, do we give? I uh, had an opportunity to, to spend some time with some communities last night as we're getting ready to, to um, plant a church on the west side. And when we had talked about the story of God, and the very beginning of the story of God, I think, is the best place to start for us um, when we begin to talk about giving. And here's what I mean. In Genesis chapter 1, you begin to see this God um, who is perfectly sufficient. He begins to create things. And as he creates these things, these birds and these fish and whatever it is, you suddenly realize in Genesis 1 through 25, this dude owns everything, okay? He's got a monopoly on creation. So anything that can be anything was created by him. He creates everything to create anything. So, so he looks down and says, I've given you sand to make glass. I've given you trees to build houses. I have created everything. And hear me when I say this, it's all his. It's all his. And so then we get to, to um, Genesis uh, verse 26 in chapter 1, and we've just realized that um, he owns and created every, has created everything, and we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and hear this, and let them have dominion over fish of the sea and over birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what we see right there in the middle, you see God has everything that is anything. He says, this is all mine. And he says, I'm giving it to you. Have dominion over it. Take what I have given you and rule well with it. And this tells us two things. The first thing is this, that God is a giver because he has everything that is anything and he gives it to man. The second thing is man now has a responsibility to take what God has given him. But we read that section, we say, man, we are in charge of the way we treat the environment. We are in charge of the way that we handle our finances. We are in charge of the way that we do arts. We are in charge of all creation, the way that sports are played, the way that we are family members. Everything that is anything God created and said, here, the way you treat your dog is important. This is part of my creation. And we see that says God has, has given us these things, and, and it shows us clearly that, that he is a giver. 
But what we miss is the beginning of verse 26, don't we? Because it says this, and it starts with this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So, so, I mean, let's rock through the progression, right? If God has all things, and God is a giver and gives us all those things, and we are in his image, so if God is a giver, giver and we are in his image, then we are givers. At your DNA, Christian or not, you are designed. You don't need me to tell you this. Social science will tell you this. Oprah will tell you this. You are happier when you give because that's how we're wired as humans. But our American tendency pushes back against that. I got what I have and I have to take care of my own. But you're going against the way you were designed, man. Like you were created to give because the one who created you in his image is a giver. So before we do anything, before we talk about giving, the, the, the very premise that we have to build on is the idea that God is a giver. We are made in his image, which makes us givers. So our joy is most found. It's, it's, it's found in giving and not receiving and not taking and not hoarding and not wanting more. At the risk of beating this drum until um, there's a hole in it, let me share another verse with you. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's a helpful verse that I think we can get at um, that, that really pushes... Um, to, to set our foundation for giving. This is what it says. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I want to leave this verse up and I want you to look at this verse and I want you to process it in three sections. And here's why. Um, in every culture, we're always going to err in different ways um, in which the Bible, so the Bible's the center. Let me give you an example. I'm talking with a, a guy who's from the Middle East and he sees the way that we treat women um, as ridiculous. What? You let them do what? You let them do what? You let them speak, you let blah, 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 blah. But to them, it's like, no, they don't talk. They're for child. That's all they do, this, okay? Now there's, there's an air that, right? Like, so, so some cultures get this right and other cultures, well, in America, um, we tend to look at this verse and we get the first two parts of this verse right, but we, for whatever reason, err on the side of missing the third section. So here's what I mean. The first part is this, let the thief no longer steal. It's simple, guys. As Christians, we read the word of God and say, hey, don't take other people's things. Like, you don't steal. Whatever way you're trying to scheme about taking something, stop. Okay? It's simple. And then it says this, but rather let him who labor do honest work with his own hands. Point number two, phase two. So don't steal. Stop stealing things. Rather, get up off your couch and get a job. And get that job and earn money so you don't have to steal anymore. So you can provide bread for your family. Stop stealing work. Easy enough. And that's where we kind of relax, right? Because we see that. But unfortunately, Ephesians 4.28 doesn't allow us to stop there because it actually gives us a reason why to do the first two. And it's this. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So stop stealing, start working, because when you work, you earn money, and you're earning that money to share with those who are in need. That's why you go to work. We were made to be givers. We were designed to be givers. So when we earn, we give. That's the way it works. Christian or not, that's the way God has wired the world to work. And it's a truth that we cannot run from. I mean, goodness gracious. The most selfish people in the world are the most unhappy. And this is why I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world, and I've seen in the Philippines and Ghana people who have nothing provide a meal for us when they cannot provide that meal, and they'll go a day without eating because of that. And I just, unbelievable amounts of joy. They know how they're wired. 
They're not big, building bigger barns. They're not going after the new iPhone. They're not getting the new Lexus. They know what they're doing. I work because working gives me more money to give, that I've been blessed to be a blessing. I mean, have we, th- have we really bought into the lie? I mean, I've said this over and over whenever I have the chance, that, chance to share with you guys. Over and over, have we seriously bought into the lie that you have willed your arms to grow in your mother's womb? Like, have you, have you bought the lie that you absolutely made your brain develop? That when you came out for whatever reason, you get the tech world better than everyone else because you did that. You didn't do that. Ain't nobody in the room made themselves be 6'8". Ain't nobody in the room made themselves be smart. No, God did that. He gave you gift. He gave you ability. You could have been born in a country where you didn't have the opportunities. So why? So why did he give you those opportunities? To help anyone in need. That's what he has done for us. He has blessed us so that we will be a blessing. So before we get into any type of giving, before we move in any type of direction, we need to understand that God has wired the world to be so. And Christians read the word of God and we say, yes, please. Yes, please. That's what I want to work towards. That's the way God has wired the world to work. And that's the commandment I want to follow because of what Jesus has done for me. So with that being the why, I, I think that helps kind of segue us into um, our text today. So if you haven't already opened there, you, you can open there now. Um, we're, we're in uh, Romans chapter 12, and, and it's a small verse, um, verse 13. I'm going to read it for us real quick, and then we're going to get out what we need to get at uh, with this, and, and I hope it helps. Um, this is what it says. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And the reason I kind of took a pause between those two things is because contribute to the needs of the saints we're going to talk about first, and then we'll come at um, why seek to show hospitality is really important in tying this, this verse together. Um, here's the thing I want to do first with this um, verse. Um, I want you to look at the who, okay? So when we are to contribute to the needs of the saints, there's, there's a quick delineation here, isn't there? There's a quick delineation. Um, we wholeheartedly believe that we should give everywhere, like at, anywhere and everywhere, okay? That, that's a big part of what we're doing, a big part of Redemption Church, a big part of hopefully the church in general, that there are places, orphanages, um, uh, water wells, uh, places that need food, whatever it is we need to give. But, but this verse doesn't allow us to do that, does it? Because this verse specifically talks about a certain type of giving, and it talks about a giving to the saints. So let me explain what the saints are, because um, we wholeheartedly believe it's not a bunch of people who were Christians before and have died, and that maybe we can pray to penance for. It's not um, pastors. It's not holy, holy people. Um, what it is, is it is anyone who would claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is a disciple of his, is continuing to walk out this thing of sanctification to one day be resurrected uh, with him in glory. That, that is a saint. That is, ladies and gentlemen, you. That's me. That's us um, reading this verse and saying there's a certain giving that we're going to talk about that we have to understand it's here. Now, I want to, you know, uh, if you read Galatians six ten, it said do good to all, but especially to those in the, the house of faith, and so there is a, a delineation that maybe some of you would push back on, but um, the Bible's clear. I mean, 44% of the New Testament talks about family language. Um, only, I think, three books are in the New Testament don't talk about how we are to interact with one another. There's a clear, um, there's a clear putting in front of us by the word of God that talks about, hey, the way we do this is really important, and as much as we want to talk about money and contributing and what that looks like, you need to understand uh, at the core of what we're talking about today, it has to do with here, okay? And it's very relational. Here, here's what I mean. Um, that first word, contribute, 
Um, I'm not as good as Frank at, at doing this because, you know, he has the Bible memorized, but he, he, he uh, tends to use Greek words sometimes, and, and I want to use a Greek word because I think it will help if those of you who grew up in church. That word contribute is actually the Greek word koinonia, and if you've heard that word, maybe you kind of know um, that you've heard of this term koinonia, right? Um, koinonia is a cheesy way that sometimes we name halls, the koinonia hall, um, or sometimes, hey, do you want to have koinonia? That's like, you're a nerd. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, we, we talk about that, and what it means is fellowship. I mean, it's this term fellowship. It's this, hey, let's have koinonia together. Okay, we can just hang out if you want. Um, and so, so, so the reason I think that's important is because it's not an immediate give, is it? It's a contribute. It is, it's the same word, actually, that we tend to use when we talk about marriage language, okay? It is a coming alongside. If you have an NIV, it probably says share with. Like C.S. Lewis would say, it is our job to daily carry the burdens of our brothers. There is a piece of an element to this that when we begin to talk about each other, giving to the saints, there's a piece of this that is, hey, it is deeply involved. There's fellowship. And here's what I love, and I, here's why I think that's important, because it says contribute to the needs of the saints. And that first section is, is big, because how can we contribute, or how can we give to needs without relationship? So how do I know what your need is if I don't know you? How do I come alongside you and help you if I don't know you? How can I contribute without doing this with you? And there's a removal that we, we there's something that, that I've learned, you know, 30 years on this earth, I, I definitely don't know everything, but there's something I, I've, I've learned in my, my years of ministry, that it's really easy, very, very easy to love from far away and to hate from far away. I, I can, I, yeah, I'll give, I love them, I care for them, but when you get up close and you start going into their bedrooms and it's all messy, this guy isn't as awesome as I thought he was. And it, it's definitely easy to hate from far away, isn't it? Like, whoa, you know, I uh, had the opportunity five years ago uh, to go to Mexico um, to bring these Christmas presents. I was working at that Assembly of God Church and we had done, did this whole Christmas present drive and we brought these presents together. I got in a van with my buddy Richie, filled this van up and we drove to Mexico. And um, we got there and uh, we started going to this orphanage. We, we planned to get to this orphanage. We got there. We dropped off these presents, and we got there at night, so we didn't want to drive back at night. Um, so we stayed the, the night there, and um, before we went to bed, we had this long dinner. We thought we were just going to have a quick dinner and go to bed, but <laughs> that ain't how Mexicans roll. And so um, we're, like, having, like, this fiesta, and, like, so there, there's people coming over. I'm like, where are these people coming from? And um, so we start to talk, and we're just hanging out, and, man, it was awesome. It was so great. I mean, we're staying up real late. And um, at the time, the church I'm at um, is super conservative, and I don't just mean, um, I mean, like, socially conservative and, and politically conservative. Uh, so it's like, on 4th of July, we're having sermons on Patton, bro, okay? Um, we're, we're, we're like all, and I'm, like, I'm a patriarch, uh, patriarch, um, I'm a patriot through and through. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a patriot, so I love America, ain't, like, these colors don't run, you know what I'm saying? Um, so... I love America, but, but I started to, as I realized in this world, that like, man, when America gets before Jesus, there tends to get some things mixed up. And at this conversation with this, with this um, couple that night, I really started to realize that because I'm sitting down with them, and we're just sitting at the table, and we start to talk about politics. And we start to talk about illegal aliens coming into to America, and I share my views. I think we should send them back. I don't think, how would you feel if we started invading your country, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, like, you idiot. So I, I'm just sorry to take, okay? And I'll never forget, the man leans over, elbows on the table, leans over, goes, Pastor Sean, and he has this accent, Pastor Sean, what would it take for you to send your son or daughter across hundreds of miles of desert with limited water? I just sat there. And he goes, do you think they want to go? 
Like for him, he's just put in front of me, like suddenly all of my views of like, this is how it should be done. This is how it should be done. And suddenly like, hey, bro, like you need to see something here. They don't just want to get up and go to America because they hate their country or America's this like beautiful, like, no, listen, some of them are watching their, their family members be murdered. Like some of them have no choice but to starve to death or make this trek. You, you just need to see this. And it was real easy for me to, uh, to love from far away. And it was real easy for me to judge far away and to make these calls from far away. But suddenly, empathy sticks in. Suddenly, I'm like, wow. And because I'm close, I'm recognizing something different. And at the core of what's being talked about is contributing to needs is being close to. That how, how can you contribute to needs without being close to each other, guys? And better yet, let me say this. Um, for you to remove your awesome Jesus cape, you need to do this as well because it's the moment that you allow people to, to start to see how unawesome you are that really helps them fill into your needs. You're not better socioeconomic because them. you've got issues. You've got p- kids who are disobedient. You've got marital issues. You got it. And the moment that contributing to the needs of the saints, you not only uh, help those but begin to be in community so people can help you, it changes everything. So let me explain how we do this because this is a big deal and this is maybe a, a point of application for you to kind of walk away from. I would just say this. Um, you need to get in community. To do this verse well, I wholeheartedly believe you need to get in community. And listen, I'm not even pushing redemption communities, though I think we do redemption communities well, our communities locally. You need to be around believers a lot. So much so that you need to begin to find out their needs. That you need to get to know them well. You need to be in community. Playing the game for an hour and a half on Sunday just ain't doing it, man. You maybe talk to someone for 10 minutes in and out of the door, how do you possibly know? How could we possibly know anyone's needs? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Have a good Sunday. How? How do we do that? No, we have, to, we have to work hard at being in community with each other so we can contribute to what we recognize in those moments, needs. That's it. That's the only way we can walk this thing out. So this second part, right, I think helps us see um, the big picture of what this looks like, um, and, and I think it will help us uh, to, to know this. It says this, um, it says, and seek to show hospitality. Now, there is a, there's a piece between this from contributing to the needs of the saints to, uh, seems to denote like financial giving and, and seek to show hospitality seems to, to move in something. So I want to kind of stop and talk about that contributing to the needs of the saints, what that looks like corporately for us. And, and this is really the only time I'm going to talk about giving financially, okay? So um, how do we give to each other? What do we do? As, as we read the New Testament, how do we play this thing out? The first thing that we're going to read is... Um, uh, First or Second Corinthians nine seven, I can't remember which one, um, and it talks about that we are to give not begrudgingly under compulsion, but each one should give freely, as he discerns in his own heart. So hear me when it says this. I look and I say, God, what do you want me to give? How do you want me to give? How much of my check do you want me to give? I'm to look at that not to give begrudgingly. But I'm not to give under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. So um, we started giving the boys. My uh, son Titus is four. And our oldest son, uh, Corbin, is, is six, and we started doing this, um, uh, these chores things. And so they have these certain chores every day they have to get done before noon, and we pay them 50 cents a day. It's like prison money, right? So we, uh, <clears throat> so we, we, we give them this 50 cents a day, and uh, we sat down a couple days ago, and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. With your money that you come in, as you continue to collect it, we're going to take 15% of that money, 
We're going to give 10% of that 15% to the church, and you can give any 5% to any of your friends. We just want you to give it away. You have to give it away. Then we're going to take another 15%, and you have to save it. You're not allowed to ever spend that money. We will take that money, and we'll save it for you. And then you can take the other 70%, and you can just do whatever you want with it, okay? And um, I'm explaining to this, and Titus just starts to cry. And he's like, so I can't buy any toys? And this, this is his fear, right? Like, so you're taking money, so okay, I'm like, well, I don't want your money anyway, if you're going to be like that. Um, he's worried about what he can't get because he has to give. And so I have to take his little demonic heart and form it into another direction <laughs> and, and say, listen, buddy, like, you're wired in this way. So every single day we go through an exercise, I say, Corbin, whose image are you made in? God's? Is God a giver? Yes. What are you? A taker. <laughs> okay? So, so for him, so, so for them, they process this, and this is something that we have to learn well. This is something that we have to see that we give, and so we're not to give begrudgingly, but cheerfully look at our money and say, hey, I, I want to give this, and, and, and I want to do it well, because I love giving, because I've read Romans chapter 1 all the way to 11, I see that I'm a sinner, and because Jesus died for me, this makes me want to give out of the overflow of what I have. And then so we take that money as individuals, and this is how we do it corporately. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and it says this, Paul is talking to this church there towards the end of this letter, and he is talking about how to, how to um, uh, give to the needs of other churches and all that, and it says this, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, and as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So for us, we read that, and corporately, how do we handle this thing? Well, we say, okay, um, so that there's no collecting, and he would say, basically, take what you've done when you've worked, set these things aside, and the first day of the week, have the offering ready. So what we do as a church, we bring our money together the first day of the week, Sunday, we put it together, and the offering's ready. And now, in that moment, we trust the elders, Jack, Sean, and Frank, we trust those elders, and we say, hey, um, there's a lot of things that we can't go to Africa and see, we, so we trust Prather with M25. How can we contribute to other needs and people outside to do this well? And so you'll see once a year, Frank will come up here, he'll put on the screens what we've given, uh, not just outward, but how we spend inwards, what staff we pay, why we believe this is important, and we try to do this really well. And so that's how we handle corporate giving, and that's the th last thing I'm going to say about that specifically, because the next part of our verse is seek to show hospitality. So let's get back into a rhythm of a verse. When it says seek to show hospitality, um, I just want you to know this is not saying throw a dinner party. This is way bigger than that. Like it's not just saying get your buddies over to watch Peyton destroy the Colts tonight and, and eat jack-in-the-box tacos. That, that's not what it is. It's, it's much bigger than that. For Paul to make this declaration to show hospitality um, tends to denote this idea of, of, of associate. Like, associate with yourself with people as you do in contributing to those needs. Um, have them come into your home. Be a part of what's going on. And let me just speak very quickly. Um, the, the word there, seek, you are going to read another word in the next verse that is the word persecute. And here's what's crazy about the, the, the Greek words here. The same Greek word for persecute is the exact same word for seek. Literally, go after. Find these opportunities continue to fight until this thing is taken care of to show hospitality. Make this important. Have people come into your home and see your dirty laundry, see your misbehaved kids, see your unmowed lawn. Let them see these things. And that's not easy. Let's be straight for a second. And then you're hanging out with people, you got nothing in common and you get a lot of this. So that's cool. 
All we, have in, all we have in common is this moment is like either it's your neighbor and you like live next to each other, which is pretty much nothing in common, or you're a Christian and all you know is they're a Christian and I'm a Christian and that's all we got. And it's awkward to bring someone in and to begin to have fellowship with and join along and come alongside with people that you don't know that well is hard. It's so hard. But we look at Jesus and what he's done, and this moves us in that direction, that we would go after, that we would seek to show hospitality. And I don't think that it just pertains to saints in this moment, because in a couple of verses, it's going to tell us to associate with the lowly. That we would be known for, as we bring people into our home, the same things they're known for. Like, this is why Jesus, over and over, is being accused to, hear this, associate with tax collectors and sinners. Why does he eat with them? And this is, this is a hard thing. Some of us lay down a lot of reputation and some of us a lot of awkward moments. I, I want to tell you two stories for us to close um, together. Look at me, I'm killing the time thing. Um, I want to just tell, tell, tell us two stories and, and, uh, and then we'll close. And it's uh, two different stories. It's about two men. The second man is uh, much more important uh, and we'll get to him in a second. Here's the, the first man. It's a, a story about a man named Brother Damien. Brother Damien was uh, born in the 1800s and uh, he was born in a blacksmith uh, family, and so he learned to work metal and uh, build with wood. It was said about Brother Damien, he can build anything. There's a couple quotes that I'd read about him. He literally could build a house, just give him the right amount of wood, he could build anything. Um, and so he decides, as he's under this blacksmith, that he doesn't want to do that family trade, even though he does it really well. And in 1860, he decides he wants to be a missionary to Hawaii. And so he leaves his family to go on this island, um, and he goes to spend time with Hawaii, and he begins to build uh, with the people in Hawaii, and he begins to build churches, and he begins to build homes because he knows how to do that well, and he ministers the gospel everywhere he goes, and he is a missionary to Hawaii. Well, as you uh, hit uh, like the early 1870s, um, Hawaii, the Molokai government there, um, runs into a problem. Uh, because they recognize in the midst of all Hawaii, there is an insane amount of lepers. And if you don't know anything about leprosy, it's an incurable disease for them, and uh, especially in the 1800s. Uh, and they don't know what to do because it's super contagious. And so if you run into a leper, you get leprosy. If you touch them or you eat off them or whatever it is. And so it's a bad deal. So they decide to take about 1,000 lepers, and they put them on a peninsula off the island of Molokai. And they put them on this, uh, this island to die. I mean, they'll have some food shipped to them, but they're going to die. What's the point? Um, well, uh, Brother Damien hears, he catches wind of this, hears what's happening, and he says, I need to do something about that. He, he writes, and he kept a great job, he did a great job of keeping a journal. He says this, this is uh, something from his journal, he says, At the time, the development of the illness was horrible, and the number of deaths quite considerable. The miserable condition of the lepers was so terrible that the colony well deserved the name given it, a living cemetery. So he writes that in uh, November of uh, 1873, and uh, he decides to go there. And he begins to associate with the lowly. He begins to find needs. He begins to um, do what he can to help these people. And so he'll build a house. First thing he does is he gets on this island. He builds a church. He builds himself a house. He begins to build houses for the lepers. Hurricane comes in, blows everything down. He builds a church. He builds a house. He builds a house for the lepers. Tsunami rolls in. He builds a church. He builds a house. He builds a house for the lepers. This was his life. He would bandage them up. He would go and minister to them over and over and over. And hear me when I said this. This was not love from afar, was it? I mean, this is, <laughs> I'm giving my life, bro. I, 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 I'm going at this. I'm recognizing a need, and I'm doing everything I can to help the need. 
So much so in his association, there's just a quick little blurb that he says in one of his things. He says, as for me, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all for Christ. Because of this, and hear this, this is crazy. When I preach, I normally say, we lepers. He doesn't have leprosy. He says, we lepers. Like he is, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm not going anywhere, and we lepers have this. We lepers need to do this. We lepers struggle with this. He's like, it's the epitome of empathy. It's not sympathy. It's not apathy. It's not far off. I understand. I saw a commercial of a hungry child, and I know I need to give money. It's, no, I'm there. I'm bandaging up wounds. I'm watching friends die. We lepers. So much so that, obviously, in the midst of this, he, uh, he gets leprosy. So crazy. The last journal uh, entry that he has, as he has leprosy, um, he's writing to his brother, and um, in the midst of this, you know, there are yeah, probably 1,500 people at the, the time of the end of his ministry in life, um, and not everyone has come to Christ. He would go to these houses and ask if they want to repent, and some wouldn't, but he has clearly gained this flock. I mean, he is shepherding well over six, 700 people, and these people are coming to church, and they're coming to know Jesus before they spend eternity in hell, FYI, and so they, they, um, they're, they're loving him, and he's loving them, and he's shepherding them well, and this is the last entry he has in his journal, um, and I think it's I think it says something to where we need to be. You can see for yourself in the portraits of the destruction the illness has caused to my whole body. You can Google this guy, um, not now, but you can Google this guy and, and just look at how messed up this guy is. Like you can see pictures of the churches he built. Um, you can see what it's done to his body. It's, it's bad. It says this, you can see for yourself in the portraits of the destruction the illness has caused to my whole body. There is at least a small light of hope which could restore me if not a miracle. And here's what he says, but I do not want to tempt the Lord as I am persuaded that the will of the Lord is that I die in the same way and of the same sickness as my afflicted sheep. Hey, I'm in this, and I didn't just come to give my life, but I came to give it unto death. And if that means I need to die here as a leper, so be it. And <laughs> I'm not saying you need to go to Molokai Island to a leper colony to contribute to the needs of the saints, but here's what I am saying. Um, it clearly puts in front of us something of the nature, not the story, but the word of God that we need to give. And so maybe the pushback is, are you telling me, no, I need, I need to give everything? Are you telling me everything I have I need to, to be willing to give up? No, I'm not saying that. The Bible's saying that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so, yes, picking up our cross is sacrifice. Yes, associating with lowly, contributing to the needs, having people in our home is a sacrifice. Welcome to Christianity. If anyone promised you something different, they lied. They lied, which leads us to the second man. He, he's the man who made something as ugly as the cross cool enough for you to wear around your neck. He's the one in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his perfection, put that aside and entered into the story, into your story, into your pain, into your leprosy. And in the midst of that brokenness, he did not care from afar. He didn't love from afar. He didn't judge from afar. But he intimately involved himself in, so much so, that God who created the very air that the people are yelling. As Pilate looks up and says, you can have Barabbas or Jesus. Jesus put lungs in, or air in their lungs for them to yell, we want Barabbas! He gave them the glance to spit on them. He gave them the strength to strike the whip. He did this. He entered deeply into that story. And it wasn't from afar. 
It's that man, Jesus Christ, that loves beyond all things. And it's that man, and it's his cause, and it's his purpose, and it's his reason that he takes Romans chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And he looks at chapters 1, 2, and 3 and says, I'm enough. I'm enough. And though Brother Damien can inspire us, it's Jesus Christ who should motivate us. Though brother, the story of Brother Damien is awesome, um, it's Jesus who we look to to say, Jesus, because you've done these things, I can't help but respond to the gospel. That is why we give. This, what's crazy is we can, we can say two things. In this room, there's, this room is full of sinners because it's true because we can't get it right and we just cannot get it right. We're yelling at our kids. We just can't get this thing right. But that's not how the Bible actually describes us. The New Testament actually refers to everyone in this room as saints. And be- because of what Jesus has done, we now look at each other's needs and we contribute to those things and we seek, we, we go after to seek to have people to be in fellowship and relationship to show hospitality and we do it because of what Jesus has done for us. Let me pray for us and then uh, I'll, I'll lead us in our, our uh, response. Father, thanks so much for who you are.